If you love the History Extra podcast and want to help us keep bringing you brilliant episodes, then please share it with a friend or a fellow history fan who you think might enjoy it. Thanks for your support, and I do hope you enjoy this episode. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has same-day delivery on the perfect gift to help Dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. Let the Home Depot help power Dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything Dad is, find the perfect gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Order select and stock items by 4 p.m. subject to availability. And welcome to the History Extra podcast from BBC History Magazine, Britain's best-selling history magazine. I'm Ellie Cawthorn. You're listening to a special bonus episode featuring the former Prime Minister, Gordon Brown. Tomorrow, the 11th of August, he'll be presenting a BBC Radio 4 documentary about the 19th century American philanthropist Andrew Carnegie, and that was the subject of our interview with him. The questions were initially put to him by the BBC producer Liza Gregg, but I've re-recorded them to improve the audio quality. We began by asking Gordon to explain his personal connection to Andrew Carnegie. My father had a Carnegie scholarship and that allowed him to go to university in the 1930s. And I was brought up in the town next to Carnegie's town of Dunfermline and found out at first hand how Carnegie had provided the library, the college, the swimming baths, the physical education centre, the college, and even bought the park that surrounded Dunfermline and given it to the local citizens. And so I was aware of this huge amount of philanthropy that he'd done uh, at the turn of the century and was also aware that some towns had done better than others as a result of what he'd done. And so it was worth investigating, why did Carnegie do what he did, and what does it mean for today? How important a historical figure is he, do you think? Carnegie is the biggest and greatest philanthropist the world has ever seen. The scale of his uh, philanthropy is far greater than uh, that of, for example, Bill Gates and Melinda Gates, who've done a huge amount But equally, at the same time, he made a commitment that he would give all his money away. So to die rich, he said, was to die disgraced. And so during the course of his life, he made it his business uh, to give all his money away by giving it mainly to education. He did a great deal for peace. He did a great deal for music. He did a great deal for other causes that he thought were important at any particular time. But his main passion was education because he believed that if he could support the education of uh, young people in particular, the education of anybody who couldn't afford to go to university or get a college degree and support the libraries that would teach them, then he would help people improve themselves. It was a gospel that was quite authoritarian. It was, uh, he knew best, uh, but at the same time, he chose a cause where to release people's potential uh, was going to be the best chance that they had to make the best of their lives. And he put conditions on that giving, didn't he? Carnegie believed that if he gave, uh, but those people who received did nothing, uh, then that would be a transaction that wouldn't work. And so he insisted that if he gave money, something was done in return. So, for example, when he gave the libraries, and he gave 3,000 libraries around the world, 
he insisted that those people who had the libraries given by him uh, provided the books themselves. And that usually caused quite a lot of controversy because money had to be raised locally uh, to back up the endowment of the library by Carnegie. And in some cases, they had to have local referenda uh, to decide, as in Burnt Island, the next door town to Dunfermline, uh, to decide to have the library. And it was conditional in another sense that uh, he expected uh, the recipient to do something uh, in quite a big way. I remember when he was asked by New York Philharmonic Orchestra to give um, a sum of money uh, to save the orchestra from going out of business. And Carnegie that morning was prepared to give them money, but only half of it, and told them to go away and find another donor, and then he would pay up. Later in the day, the Philharmonic people came back and said, look, we've found the money. And Carnegie started to write the check uh, to back up the other donor when he asked uh, uh, casually uh, who the other donor was. It was your wife, he was told. And Carnegie, of course, had been outmaneuvered by his wife uh, because the Carnegie family were paying for the whole of the orchestra. Carnegie's gospel of wealth was uh, that he should give it all away. So to die rich was to die disgraced. And so he set out in a very planned way uh, to give away his money. Now, the first 60 years of his life, uh, he'd made money. The next 20, he was giving it away. Some people say that uh, he could not undo the damage he'd done in the first 60 years by whatever he did in the next 20 because he was a ruthless employer. He was authoritarian. He was quite egotistical. And even when he was giving away money, he was insisting that conditions uh, be met uh, that were quite onerous sometimes for the recipient, that they had to raise money themselves or they had to do something in return. But it was part of his gospel of wealth that um, self-improvement uh, would only happen if the recipient was prepared to take action themselves to back up what the donor did. And so if he gave the library, he wanted the recipients to provide the books. If he gave money to an orchestra, as he did on one occasion, he insisted that someone else give the other half. Uh, he would only give half the money that they needed. And he was quite uh, authoritarian too. He didn't like uh, religion in any real sense. And he wasn't prepared to support churches, but he would support music in churches because he thought the one thing he could do was make churches more interesting, more exciting. So he gave away lots of organs uh, uh, as donations to churches to encourage music in churches that previously had either shunned music or just didn't have the money to have decent music. And that was his way uh, of interpreting what he should do to help the religious organisations of the countries. What do you think of Carnegie as a person? Is there anything you like or admire about him? I like the idea that he focused on education and on the potential of people. And while you could say he was authoritarian in demanding that people give something in return, I think it was uh, his sense that uh, people, if they were going to develop their potential to the full, had to make the effort themselves. And so it was... Uh, a self-improvement ideology. God helps those who help themselves is a sort of Samuel Smiles of the 19th century view that Carnegie seemed to adopt. But of course he was right about education, that there was no point in him giving money unless the people who were being educated would make the effort to make the most of their talents. And that's what he insisted uh, on, on, on doing. When he gave money to the Scottish universities, he did something very radical. He offered to provide free tuition for thousands of students, indeed by 1910, half the students of Edinburgh University and the other Scottish universities were receiving tuition help, free tuition, as a result of Carnegie's donation. But when he started uh, out with this proposal to give money for free tuition fees, the university authorities, traditional as they were, who had actually very little money from benefactions uh, at all, um, were not prepared to accept the money for tuition fees. They wanted it for buildings. They wanted it for the uh, uh, research of the universities. They didn't want to encourage 
free tuition because they thought they would have a horde of students that were perhaps not as well qualified as they should be getting uh, free tuition. So Carnegie had to drive a very hard bargain, and I do admire him for this. He would always drive a hard bargain, and the hard bargain was, in the end, that if they provided um, the uh, free tuition at his expense, of course, uh, he would give the universities money for the buildings. And it was a deal that was done to make sure that half the students of Scotland had free tuition. So it was a deal that made it possible for thousands and thousands, including my own father, to be able to go to university on a Carnegie scholarship uh, and to do what they would otherwise probably never have been able to do as the first in their family to enjoy higher education, be able to afford to do so. How relevant is he today, do you think? Carnegie makes us think about what the purpose of philanthropy actually is. I think he makes us think about it in two ways. One is we've got to look at the impact. And so we now have tools for measuring the impact of uh, giving and of donations and of uh, where it's directed. And so uh, it makes us think of getting the best use out of philanthropic money. It's not just a an add-on that you don't really take into account uh, because it is just money handed out. Uh, you've really got to be as scientific and rational. As Bill Gates, for example, has insisted on, rightly so, in measuring the impact so that you get as good a return as possible for the philanthropy you do. But I think the second thing he, he does is makes us think about the the purpose of philanthropy and whether philanthropy is really a small number of rich people doing as they like and just uh, sponsoring the causes that they find attractive and, and perhaps even changing from one moment to the next in a very uh, discretionary uh, way because charity is given can be as equally taken away uh, or whether people should, as Carnegie did, uh, think very carefully about the purpose. So Carnegie insisted on education because it was the root uh, to other goals as well, like good health, like a good environment, like good employment. Education, he thought, unlocked all the other goods that we wanted to create, and I mean good health and good environment and so on. So Carnegie was very, very um, conscientious about what he was giving money to, and he wouldn't just give money as an add-on, and he wouldn't just give it at the margin. It was right at the center of the last 20 years of his life, thinking about how he could make the world a better place through his philanthropy. And so as a result of Carnegie, philanthropy being moved from being a sort of marginal activity where a, a few rich people uh, gave money away at the end of their lives to being absolutely central to the way our societies uh, are, are developed. And people came to rely on this kind of uh, charitable works that Carnegie did. And I think we've got to think carefully in this generation uh, about philanthropists asking them to coordinate their work. We are in an incredibly unequal world where a small number of people have huge amounts of money which give them enormous amount of power, but they must also think carefully about whether the causes that they're supporting are both achieving the results that they um, would like to see and whether these are indeed the best causes if we're going to change society for the better. Tell us about your programme for Radio 4. I think it's important 100 years after... Carnegie's death to evaluate what difference he made, but what lessons he has for today's world. And what I mean by that is that his philanthropy was groundbreaking. He moved philanthropy from being a, a marginal activity, a sideshow for people who'd made a lot of money to do something later in their life, to being absolutely central to both what he did and to what lots of people have been encouraged to do as a result of his inspiration and his example. And philanthropy changed uh, from being uh, something that was really 
not seen as important at all to being something that is potentially one of the great um, uh, change makers in, in our world. But Carnegie was so determined uh, that he thought about the purpose of his philanthropy and the results of it that he took a very scientific approach to it. And it's whether we have learned all these lessons in the last hundred years that I think is worth investigating. And in particularly, when you look at the area that Carnegie focused on most, education, thousands of libraries, free tuition for students, helping black students, helping for the first time women to be medical students, all the innovations he made, we've got to ask ourselves why it is that there are 800 million children leaving school without qualifications and we've done so little about it. We help locally and we help nationally in education projects like financing our own universities and our own colleges and schools, but we do so little in global education. Now, Carnegie would have been shocked, astounded, amazed, and he would have demanded that we change our ways. That was Gordon Brown. His documentary, Gordon Brown on the Gospel of Wealth, airs Sunday the 11th of August at 1.30pm on BBC Radio 4. That's all for this special episode of the podcast, which was produced by Ben Hewitt and Jack Bateman. We'll be back as usual on Monday when we'll be discussing some archaeological secrets with Mike Pitts. Mike Pitts.